My name is Rose Gadet Hominick, and I've called Jericho Ridge my home church for about two years. Now, they've been a noteworthy couple of years in my life, and certainly this last year has been very noteworthy in everyone's life on a global scale. How about 2020? Hasn't it been something? This has been one of the most, if not the most, difficult year in recent history. Charlie Burrell, the pastor who taught me so much about what a dedicated Christian life looked like, used to encourage us to be patient, not to be frustrated, and not to abandon hope by telling us not to lose our apples. Life, he said, was like an apple orchard ready to be harvested. But as often happens, this huge blustery wind came up and blew and blew and blew. Many trees completely lost their apples, and there they were on the ground, bruised, split, wormwood, quite a bit worse for wear. But a few, a very few trees, held on to their apples, and those apples became firm and crisp and just the color they should be, still good for eating straight from the branch. So the question around the church for years became, so how's your apples? And often, at least for me, the answer would be, I lost my apples, or I just about lost my apples. So if I could be so bold as to ask, how are your apples? How has it been going with you during this crazy up and down time of COVID-19? As for me, I've got to admit that things go well for a while and sometimes a long while. And then one day I'll wake up and it's like the clouds have descended and the wind is blowing and I can feel my apple tree just swaying from side to side and yep, I completely lose my apples. The wind might blow for the day or for two or for three. And in the end, I look on the ground and there they all are. A sad looking wind beaten ruined harvest of mushy apples. Not appetizing, not useful. But Rose, you might ask, what do mushy apples have to do with Anna the prophet? Let me give you a hint. Not exactly nothing, but you'll have to stay with me on this one. Everything, and I do mean everything we know about Anna the prophet is contained in three short verses in the second chapter of Luke's gospel. Let's turn to the scripture and take a look. Luke chapter 2 verses 36 to 38. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and praying. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting, waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Well, there you have it. The sum total of what we know about Anna. 
Apart from the seemingly small role she played in the birth story of Jesus, what can we learn from her and how can we apply it to our reality in 2020? I mean, that's a pretty tall order for a woman encapsulated in three short verses, isn't it? But thankfully for us, certainly thankfully for me, Anna's life as we know it offers at least one sermon's quota of lessons we can learn. Now to the casual observer, it would appear Anna was a lost soul in many respects. She came from a lost tribe. She lost her husband. She was barren. She lost her youth. She lived with what many people consider an obscure and monotonous life. And if it weren't for Luke 2, uh, verses 36 to 38, she would have all but disappeared into the mist. Appearances can be deceiving though. So let's take a closer look. Now at first glance, Anna is a woman who seems very much alone in the world. Her only family connection is with her father, Phanuel, who was of the tribe of Asher. Now Israel originally consisted of 12 tribes named after the, after the sons and grandsons of the father of Israel, whose name was Jacob. But when we find Anna in the temple, Asher or Asherites were a lost tribe, and for the most part, disgraced as a people group. Now, how did they get lost, and what was their disgrace? Well, let's go back to 930 BC. Shortly after the death of King Solomon, Israel's wisest and wealthiest king. Civil war broke out between Rehoboam, Solomon's son and rightful heir, and Jeroboam, a rebel upstart who took power in the northern segment of Israel. When the dust of the conflict settled, the Asherites, along with nine other tribes, gave their allegiance to Jeroboam, a mere pretender for the throne of Solomon. They settled in the north and ironically became known as Israel. Instead of following the one true God, Jeroboam set up a rival religion, a mishmash of heathen rites and rituals, and he centered it in the city of Samaria. This did not bode well for, what, for this would-be king and the people who followed him, because God was not pleased. Now, two loyal tribes settled with Rehoboam in the south, which became known as Judah. Their religious practices remained centered around the temple in Jerusalem. And while they were not as obedient to God as they could have been, God kept them safe from invasion, at least for a while. So the Northern Kingdom and the Tenton tribes only lasted for two centuries. As dynasties go, that was just a flash in the pan. God took his time to punish them, but when the sword fell, it was devastating. The northern kingdom, along with the tribe of Asher, was conquered by the Assyrians. They were expelled from the land, led into captivity in Assyria, and assimilated into the surrounding cultures. So they were, in that sense, lost, never to be reestablished as uniquely Jewish. The resulting people were the Samaritans, not quite Jewish and not quite Gentile. They were held in contempt by the purebred Jews whose true religion and great temple were in Jerusalem. Apparently, however, 
Not the entire tribe of Asher found themselves in captivity and disgrace. A small remnant made a different choice. So we find Anna, an Asherite, is a prophet of God and active day and night at the temple in Jerusalem. Now the prophetic designation is a gift given by God, and he chooses whom he wants to choose, and he chose Anna. As a prophet, Anna knew the very mind and will of God, and she spoke his very words to those around her. God's concerns were her concerns. She understood God. They were in a very close relationship. She understood his character. She understood his plans for the redemption of Israel and indeed for the entire world. I can think of nothing more exciting and nothing less monotonous than that. The tribe of Asher might be lost to history, but it was not lost to God. As scripture says repeatedly, the God of the universe chooses for himself people out of every tribe and nation, and they will never be lost. Among those blessed few were members of the tribe of Asher, Anna being one of them. Still, as blessed as she was, Anna wasn't a stranger to grief and tragedy. In keeping with societal norms, she was probably married at 14 or 15 years of age, but her unnamed husband died after just seven short years. Now, what a loss that must have been for her. With no mention of children, you would expect that she'd be doubly sorrowful because marriage and motherhood were a woman's purpose. They were her financial and social security in the Jewish economy of the time. Now, it isn't that Anna didn't have options. She most certainly did. She was still young, 21 or 22 years old. And Dr. Alfred Edersheim explains in his early work, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, that as an Asherite woman, Anna was most likely quite beautiful. So uncommonly striking, in fact, that she'd be courted by the rich and the powerful. Remarriage was certainly on the table, and I think it would be the choice of most women in her situation, a life of privilege and ease. But there was a more important claim on Anna's life. Whereas most women in her situation would zig, she decided to zag in a major way. God had given her a unique calling, so she set her face like flint to return to her father's house, but not her earthly father's house. Instead, she goes to the temple at Jerusalem and spends her days and nights fasting, praying, and eagerly waiting for the promised Messiah. It was a solitary, unassuming call, perhaps. Not like the picture we have of the prophets of old, who I always picture as being charismatic, boisterous, and showy. She was not like that, but she was a prophet nonetheless. What an adventure this woman was on. Oh yes, and let's talk about that, shall we? At a time in history when most women have very little autonomy, hardly a discernible input into anything outside of running a household and raising children, Anna spoke the very unedited words of the Almighty. In the tradition of Moses, 
she could trace her prophetic heritage in a straight line back generations. She is in a very select group of people and an even more select group of only eight females in recorded Jewish history up to that point to be given the prophetic mantle and named in scripture. You could say that she was the elite of the elite. She would be considered the most important person in any given room, unrivaled in her knowledge of the Torah, the Jewish word for the Old Testament and the Bible of the Jewish people. But still, she strikes me as a quiet, humble person and someone who kept to herself most of the time. Anna certainly outranked Simeon. Simeon, the man that Brad preached about last week. Now, not to take any away, anything away from Simeon. He was righteous. He was devout. He was certainly led of the Spirit. And he may have given the occasional prophetic utterance, or perhaps his words over the infant Messiah were his first. Whatever his experience, he was not a prophet. And compared to Anna, he was what one might call an amateur. But Anna was the real deal. One commentator called her the workaholic prophet. Notice that the Holy Spirit didn't have to tell Anna to get to the temple. The temple was her wheelhouse. She knew its every nook and cranny. She was already there and had been there for year after year after year, praying, fasting, waiting. She was like the Energizer Bunny. She just kept going and going and going. And this kind of dedication, as Brad said last week, can't be manufactured out of thin air. No one dedicates their entire life to an idea or an ideology or a God who only marginally captures their imagination. Anna laid her entire life on the line. She was completely sold out. She had focused her laser sharp attention on one singular moment in time the arrival of the Messiah, who would save Israel, not from the oppression of the military, like the might of Rome, and not the despotic rule of Herod, a man who would slaughter an entire generation of newborn boys to secure his teetering throne, but from a priesthood that was legalistic, graceless, and politically manipulative. In essence, she placed her hope entirely on the Messiah, who would save Israel from the disease that ravaged the people of God from within. Messiah would save Israel from itself. Now, over the past several weeks, I've spent a lot of time wondering about Anna. With such a short text to exegete, I tried to keep my sanctified imagination from running amok. But I've wondered if Anna's mind might have worked a bit like mine in a similar situation. Did she ever think about the life she led before she came to the temple? My attentions wandered down that path a time or two. Did she miss her husband? I know I would. When she saw family after family bringing in their sons for dedication, was there a part of her that ached for the children she never had? 
Proverbs 30.16 says the barren womb is like the grave or a dry land or an unquenchable fire which never says enough. My mind goes there a lot. What I've learned during this prep time is that sometimes it helps to insert yourself into a text and sometimes you must do everything to subtract yourself from the text. I've discovered that I am not like Anna, although I wished I were, but she's given me a wonderful example to aim for. Now we can't be sure what age Anna was when she met Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. She could have been in her early 80s, or as the NIV states, she could have been widowed for 84 years, which would make her an impressive 105 years old. But no matter how you look at it, Anna is a very, very old woman and has spent decade after decade after decade praying and fasting and waiting for the coming of the Messiah. And yet, as per usual, God is taking his time and Anna is getting older by the day. If you remember from Pastor Brad's sermon last week, Simeon had been told by the Spirit of God that he would live to see the Messiah. Anna had not been given that assurance, nor did she need it. Looking back at the book of Amos, the scriptures are clear. Amos 3.7 says, Indeed, the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plans to his servants, the prophets. So did Anna know the exact date of the arrival of the Messiah? Probably not. But she did know Simeon. What if God had said to her, Messiah is coming. Keep your eye on Simeon. Across the crowded chaos of the temple, she spotted him. Notice that he had stopped and was of all things holding a baby in his arms. Was this the Messiah? The closer she got, the clearer Simeon's song became, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. He kept talking. Anna was getting closer. She came along at just the right time. Simeon was delivering some sobering news to Mary, and the sword will pierce your very soul. Isn't it interesting that Anna didn't lose her apples? She didn't think Simeon got to him before I did. I'm the prophet. No. What was there left to say? Anna cast her glance on the face of the newborn king of the Jews, and her response was a completely unrecorded song of praise to God. No recognition there. Her only remaining job was to spread the news about the Messiah. But how and to whom? This was not the clarion call of the evangel to the nations by any means. Anna told everyone, and here comes the all-important declarative dependent clause. Everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. 
That was a very exclusive, even secretive group of people. Are you getting a hint of Anna's true position in the temple yet? It was one fraught with danger. Danger for her, and more importantly, danger for the infant Messiah. Anna belonged to a group whose beliefs might well be taken as an act of treason. They caught the vision that Messiah, the King of the Jews and the Savior of the world would arrive soon. And to these people, and these people alone, Anna whispered the good news. Unnoticed, she slipped back into her regular routine in the temple, an old woman with a joyful secret, a prophet with the not yet news of a savior who would redeem the world. Now, people often think the Christmas story from beginning to end lasted only a few short days, but the entire narrative took more like two years. To fit things into a timeline, Luke, chapter 2 happened well before Matthew chapter 2. In that first gospel of the New Testament, we're told about the audience of the three wise men, you know, the men who came with the gifts for Jesus. We're, talk we're told about the audience they had with Herod, the madman. Herod is so threatened by the news of this newborn king of the Jews that he plans to murder him once he can find out where he's been hiding in plain sight somewhere in Jerusalem. And he almost convinces the wise men to report back to him once they found the child. But when they realize his intentions, they leave him in the lurch and head home on another road. In response, Herod orders the wholesale massacre of every male child two years old and under. Imagine what would have happened if Anna had been in the habit of losing her apples, so to speak. Her life had had its significant hardships. She came from a lost tribe. Her husband died. She had no children. She gave up her youth and her beauty to pursue an unlikely but godly calling. When the winds of tragedy and loss shook her apple tree, she held on. There was no self-pity, no second-guessing, just that joyful expectation of the divine promise that fed her soul. She didn't lose her apples, even if the culture around her would have expected that she might. She was, after all, just a woman. But what an exemplary woman she was, called of God. Directed by the Spirit, she immersed herself in prayer and fasting and worship. Like the godly talked about in Psalm 1, she was like a tree planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Her leaves never withered, and she prospered in all she did. When the time came to keep the secret that gave purpose to Anna's entire life, her disciplined silence offered the Holy Family the advantage they needed. Time to recover from the birth, time to have the child grow old enough to travel, and maybe even time to save the money to emigrate to another country where the child would be safe. It was a perilous, unprecedented time. It was a time to keep loved ones safe 
and avoid drawing undue attention. In some ways, it was a time not unlike our own. 2020 has been a difficult year. I've lost my apples quite a few times. I've watched as others have lost their apples as well. This horrendous global pandemic has tested the patience and endurance of us all. But in this Advent season of hope and joy, let us not lose sight of everything we can be grateful for. The Church of God here in Canada is not under the yoke of tyranny from a world power like Rome or a local despot like Herod. We have the freedom to worship, although the places where we worship have been closed down for a time to keep the COVID curve as flat as it can be given the situation. And we have the privilege of proclaiming that Emmanuel, God with us, has come and is with us now through the power of the Holy Spirit, who gives us everything we need to prosper and spread the good news of the gospel to those around us. However, now is not the time to bring people to Christ. Now is the time to bring Christ to people. A seminary professor of mine used to say, people don't care how much you know, they wanna know how much you care. They need to see us as Christ with them. Christ who loved them so much, he came to be with us, to be with them. One way we can do that is not by losing our apples, by showing our faith in God who will give us the ability to handle this pandemic with faith, with confidence, and with humility and care for people. But make no mistake, there are dark forces afoot. I love how the message version of the scripture puts it. It says, keep a cool head, stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce and would like nothing better than to catch you napping, or as I'd like to say, losing your apples. Keep your guard up. You're not the only ones plunged into these hard times. It is the same with Christians all over the world. So keep a firm grip on the faith. Suffering won't last forever. It won't be long before this generous God who has great plans for us in Christ, eternal and glorious plans they are. This generous God will have you put together and on your feet for good. He gets the last word. Yes, he does. 1 Peter 5.8 I think if Anna could speak to us today, she would tell us to never lose sight of that joyful hope and never do anything to jeopardize the coming of Emmanuel into the lives of those who do not yet know him. But how did she get where she was? How did she keep from losing her apples? Well, I would bet that her habit of prayer, fasting, and worship had a lot to do with it, along with a healthy knowledge of scripture, which she may well have memorized. Those ingrained practices of devotion are the hallmarks of every giant of the faith, and even Jesus himself. And these things are not done out of a lifeless duty or legalism, but out of a hope-filled, joy-filled devotion to God and a desire to be at the very epicenter of his will and mission.
The metaphor of the apple tree has been central to my journey as a believer. It's a lively image, deeply rooted in the life-changing Word of God. It reminds me so much of Anna, whose adventure as a prophet of the Most High God resulted in the protection of the Christ child who redeemed humanity. So receive the words of Psalm 1 as a benediction. May you experience the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join with the mockers. But may you delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. May you be like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season, and may your leaves never wither and may you prosper in all you do, for the Lord watches over the path of the godly.